There's never been a better time to find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app and place a $10 money line wager on any NBA playoff game. If either team hits a three-pointer in the game, you'll win $200 in free bets. Just use code CHAMPION200 when you make your first bet. Sign up now and discover BetMGM's daily promotions, boosted odds specials, and more. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if either team hits a three in any NBA playoff game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Well, it is the Corel Cast, and I am Corel, and I am so very, very, very glad you are joining me. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, it's cold outside, baby, it's cold outside, a song about date rape, and we've got some hot issues to talk about. Also, we are going to revisit my last interview with Anne Rice, where I would not shut up, and had I known, I would never be speaking to her again. Uh, I would have stopped taking OxyContin about three weeks prior uh, because when I, when I, my last interview with her, I was fat, sick, and medicated and amped up to see her and at the end of a stressful day, just getting to the set and everything. And I'm not saying it was a disaster. It's fine. It's a good, fine interview. But uh, I, you never know when they're going to be your last, you know, because Anne Rice, author, did pass away. Another friend of mine who has passed away, Steve Bronsky, now Anne Rice. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, uh, Jack Nicholson was right. When you age, you just start saying goodbye to people. So we're going to, uh, play my last interview with her here. Don't go anywhere with, uh, we'll, you'll be able to hear and see that it was on life and segments, uh, season four, my fattest and sickest, uh, episode six. Uh, so we'll get to see that. And, uh, Oh, I bet I'll look fat and sick, uh, and, uh, and medicated medicated right then legally oh yeah uh behind me the beautiful caesar's palace uh las vegas is all dressed up for christmas it does look a lot like christmas steve and i checked out caesar's palace yesterday it was gorgeous absolutely beautiful in the form shops uh but i want to talk to in today's show before we go to ann about you know they, they do the the state of the union the president does the state of our union is And so I don't want to do a state of the union. I want to do a state of existence, okay? The state of our existence is. Uh, And today on this Monday, my feelings about all this are the state of our existence right now is bipolar. Now, I don't know about y'all. Yes, I do know about y'all. I know everything about y'all. And y'all can tell me more at reallycorel.com or reallycorel on Twitter or reallycorel on Instagram. And I even believe there's something on Facebook. Um, So I believe we are in a bipolar state because I myself, ladies and gentlemen, I have gratitude. 
I have so much gratitude that I was able to roam around Caesar's Palace this weekend with Steve and Ember in her beautiful little white little snow coat, uh, just looking fabulous in the stroller that we had for her. And just strolling through there, not shopping in any of those shops, because who does? Who, I mean, I need to know, how does Van Cleef and Arpels and, uh, you know, uh, what was it, Louboutin? There was a line at Louboutin. Who has the money to shop? And if you don't even know what I'm pronouncing, good for you. But who has the money to, to shop at Louboutin? I mean, Fendi, all of it. Every high-end designer has a shop there at the Caesars Forum. And I have no idea how they pay the rent, honey. I, don't, I have no idea how they pay the rent. Ooh, and before we go any further... Before we get to the good stuff, I got some good tea for you right here that I'm going to spill. Child, because I live such an adventurous life, Steve, and I do too. And Steve and anyone that's with me, Steve was living it yesterday. Because here we are walking through Caesar's Palace form shops, okay? Now, you've heard about all the smashing grabs going on, right? And all the theft and how the employees, you know, just sit there and watch. You've seen story after story. You have. I know you have. Don't act like you ain't been talking about this. You have. They've been closing stores in San Francisco because of the smashing grabs. And then they did this social media where they all uh, got together online and said, let's 50 of us go to this store and rob it. I know you've been watching these stories. They're everywhere. Everywhere, I tell you. So yesterday, Daniel Charleston gave me this scarf, by the way. Uh, gave me four of them, uh, different kinds. So yesterday, we are at the, um, the Caesars Form Shops, right? And they're all these expensive shops. I mean, I, there was a beautiful paisley shirt. It was paisley, and it was a shirt, and it was made out of, like, silk or something fabulous. And it went down to your knee, but it looked like a man's shirt. But it just, it was a big, long man's shirt. I loved it. I wanted it. I walked inside, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're having a 30% off sale. And you're a local, so you get 10% off. So 40% off. So I looked at the shirt. Well, it's starting at $490, and it wasn't a typo. So even with 40% off, okay, we're still talking almost $300. Uh, I was like, it's lovely. Thank you. I, you know, I'm buying more for others right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Take my broke ass out there. So anyway, so we walked, we kept walking. Ah, uh, $400, $500 for a Paisley shirt. A drag queen could wick one. If I, I could buy the fabric for $20 and bring it to a drag queen and pay them 50 and have the same damn shirt. Uh, anyway, got to know a drag queen. Got to know a drag queen that sells. Rule of life. So you've been hearing these stories, right? So we're walking through the form shops. And uh, Steve and I with Ember. And child, I look over at the, Am I think it was the Armani. It was some high-end store. Uh, and I look over. Uh, and I see this man who just doesn't look like he should be shopping there. And he's carrying a really stylish backpack. That's why I noticed him. A, he was going in a hurry. And B, he had a really beautiful black backpack. It was black, made out of like a rubbery, maybe leather. I don't know. It's one of the ones you open at the top. And it was big. It was beautiful. Gorgeous backpack. So I noticed it. But I also noticed that you know, he's bearded, he's kind of handsome, he's young, you know. And he's, that's, I thought, you know, look at him just walking with a purpose. He was walking very swiftly with this backpack. And then instantly, child, out of the blue, comes a salesperson, headset on and little gray suit, you know, and a tie, because we're in Sofa store, okay? And said salesperson leaps at the backpack, clutches it, in his hands and rips it from the back 
of this gentleman and then darts back into the store. Now, I, beholding all this, uh, which Steve, like, missed, <laughs> so I, beholding all this, noticed that the gentleman whose backpack that has just been ripped from his person is not objecting in any way, nor is he turning around going towards his fleeing backpack. Instead, he very quickly takes off in the other direction. And it is at that moment that I know that he was stealing that backpack. And the salesperson ran out the store into the crowded form lobby area and snatched it right off his back. Just snatched it right off his back. So I went in the shop. I should have recorded it. I went in the shop and I said, you know what? What you did is foolish, but I'm damn glad you did it. Because I am sick of these people thinking they can get away with it because y'all ain't going to do anything about it. But then it dawned on me. Maybe they do stuff about it at rich stores and it's just us poor folk they let them rob from. I really did think about that afterwards. I thought maybe the Walgreens and the Nordstroms, they, they you know, go ahead and take it. What's it worth? You know, it ain't worth that much anyway. But these high-end stores, because I looked at the backpack price tag that he had in his hand. Because the, the salesperson was holding that like a prized catch. He was holding it like he had just landed, you know, a big, uh, uh, just a catch, you know. And um, so he's holding it up like he's dating Brad Pitt. You know, he's just holding it up. Uh, and I look at the price tag on this because I'm thinking, it's a new backpack. Maybe I'll get it. $736 for something to carry on your back to carry other things in. If I had $700 to spend on a backpack, I'd have enough money to buy me someone to walk behind me and carry all my crap in the first place. So, yeah. So, that, that, didn't, that, just, that didn't go well. But that was exciting. That was so exciting. Then people started talking about it. Now, I saw the whole thing. I saw it all. Steve's all, how do you get involved? Because <laughs> then I went in and I congratulated him. I found the manager was there then. I said, you should give him a promotion. Uh, and oh yeah, there was, oh, it was something. It was something. Then we went on the curved escalator at the form shops, which is the only second in the world. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, so anyway, so the state of America is bipolar. Let's go back to that. The state of existence is bipolar. I'm sorry I got sidetracked, but what a fun story, huh? Snatched it from him. Said, you ain't going to rob from us. Maybe it is classism. Maybe the rich stores will still send someone to take you down. And the poor stores are like, eh, whatever. Uh, anyway, so uh, I am grateful that I was able to walk around the forum shops. That we, we had a delicious lunch downtown at Veganation. And we over-ordered. Uh, really, we did. And so it was like $35 each, uh, which is a lot for lunch. So, we, you know, we, were, we, we totally over-ordered. Uh, but we had fun. We had a ball. And then we saw someone, I saw someone walk past me and then we saw them on the strip and I said, hey, I saw you walk past me. And she's all, yeah, because there ain't no buses. I'm trying to get to work down at Fashion Show Mall. Uh, and I said, you kidding? She's all, no. And I said, well, hop in. And Steve looked at me and I said, well, we can, we can take her down, right? It's just down the strip. And I, I, I had said hello to her when she passed me by when we were eating and she seemed nice and kind of like a lesbian. Uh, and she got in. Her name was Nova. Uh, and she works at Starbucks at the Fashion Show Mall uh, on the strip. 
Uh, and after she got out, Steve told me that he had never given a ride to a stranger in his life. He's 51 years old. And he has never in his entire life offered or given a ride to a stranger. I said, why not? He said, well, they can hurt you. I said, yeah, we all watch too much TV. Most people are going to be grateful for the ride and they ain't going to kill you. Murder, death, kill. I know we saw the hitchhiker with Rutger Hauer. I know, I know, I know we all think we're going to be taken, abducted, ripped apart. I get it. We ain't. We gave her a ride. She was grateful uh, and God bless her. Uh, so I was, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful to have a home and to have food, to have presents. I'm grateful that I had credit cards that let me spend way too much on Christmas. So I'll be paying it off for the next six months, truly. Uh, and not that I spent, I only spent $150 on, on like, you know, one person, uh, each person, one person, whatever, Jake, Heather, other uh, families, you know, Daniel, Charles, uh, Charleston, um, and small Etheridge. Not 150 on each one of those. I'm just saying, there, there's, I had a list of people that were getting stuff. Not a huge list, but about 10 people. So I overspent. Uh, I keep buying myself stuff. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, so I'm very grateful to be able to. I am. But at the same time, December sucks. Now, I don't know about y'all. But A, my parents died December 28th, 29th. B, we now lost Steve Bronski and Ann Rice, and God knows who else is going to be gone. C, the news, Omicron, uh, New Jersey's going back to mask mandates, and countries are shutting down again, and places are talking lockdown again, and all this other stuff. And it's like COVID surging, just surging. Not in a good way, surging. There's still vaccine hesitancy or call it whatever you will idiocy uh mask idiocy going on there's all this ridiculousness all of it and that's here in december we got all the other ridiculous news stories we got these tornadoes ripping through the midwest global warming that's just climate change and you know that's horrible but they're it's happening there are dead people at an amazon plant candle factory all over the place because we, we still can't be smarter than the weather. And we knew the weather was going to change. But did we change with it? No. Well, the weather don't care. The weather is, it gave us warning it was changing. It gave us warning it was going to change. It don't care. Weather don't care, don't care, don't care. Weather don't care, don't care. Either adapt or die. It's, it's pretty, that's, the, that's the weather's point of view. Here's how the weather sees things. <laughs> I ain't got to do crap but change because you changed me. So now that you changed me and I'm changing, my attitude is adapt to me or die. That's how, that is the weather's attitude. The weather is like some really alpha boss at a company. My way or no way. Y'all are out, gone. So, yeah. So, the weather don't care. Weather's like, you, know, you adapt or you die. We ain't adapting. We dying. So, December sucks. Oh, good news is it sucks for Trump and O'Reilly. They did a benefit. O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly, who named me Pinhead of the Week once and debated for four days whether or not I should be fired from my job for saying, F Joe the MF plumber. I hope Joe the MF plumber drops effing dead. Oh, those were the days. Uh, anyway. 
Uh, so yeah, they're they're on they're on a four date engagement. It's not a tour. Okay, that's four dates. Okay, if that's a tour, then I've toured with so many men. <laughs> four dates is not a tour. It's four dates. Uh, so they're doing four dates. They're, people are complaining. Their prices are too expensive. The seats are empty. So they're bringing people up from the nosebleeds down. They only paid $70. People on the floor played two, $300. they are mad about that. Then it's a, it was like a, a 90, well, it's a two-hour talk, but they took a 20-minute break. Uh, so, yeah, the people are not happy. Not happy with them. But, yeah, so December sucks. It sucks. And... We have to just be honest about that. And I think it's historically sucked. I think December has just been a sucky month. It's why we hibernated through it. Well, you got to remember December. December was not always the end of the year. It's December means 10th month. <laughs> October is 8th. <laughs> September is 7th. But it's not. It's not. See, September, October, November, December. 7, 8, 9, 10. That's what those mean. Septe, seven, octe, eight, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, but they, that's when the calendar was 10 months, because it used to be 10 months. And then Caesar uh, and his astronomers figured out it takes us a year to get around the sun. So they added a couple months. And then Pope Gregory moved those months, January, February, after March 1st used to be the beginning of the, new, of the year. But then Pope Gregory moved, because popes can do this, uh, moved some months around, and January, February became the beginning of the year, and thus September, October, November, December are now out of numerical order for their names, but since most people don't know what their names mean, no one really cares. December would be the 10th month, Dice, 10, <laughs> but it's the 12th month. Are you thoroughly confused? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to humankind. Where we take nonsense and make it the rule. Uh, anyway, so I think it's always sucked. I think the winter months have always sucked. That's why we do festivals and Festivus and Christmas. And it's why we have holidays over the, the winter. Because they suck. And we are looking for any reason. Because people die. People drop like flies in December. I don't care what any statistic tells you. Both my parents died in December and Rice just died. Uh, uh, Steve Bronsky just died. I could go down the list of all the people I know, just personally, that dropped dead in December. People, they just drop dead in December. If you are even slightly close to death, hold on. Because December is bad for living. We drop dead. So we're dropping dead. The economy, inflation, oh, they're like telling us things. We like, food's at an all-time high. Duh, I eat, I know. <laughs> you act like we don't eat. Hey, y'all, food's expensive. Really? I hadn't noticed. I haven't eaten in weeks. <laughs> I love these people that point out the obvious. Food's expensive. We just did a report. Well, I've been eating. I know. Uh, okay, so we're going to have Ann Rice here in a second. The, my last interview where I was sick and medicated uh, and fat uh, and amped uh, and just jazzed to see her and Chris and just, ugh, whatever. It's the last time I spoke to her, so I, I owe it to replay it uh, because she died. But I wish I could cut me out of it. Because <laughs> I don't look back kindly on myself at that time. 
I don't cut myself a break. I don't look back and say, you know what? You were doing the best you could. No, I wasn't. I succumbed. I succumbed to illness. I succumbed to pills. I succumbed to quick fixes. I succumbed to unhealthfulness. I succumbed to being unhealthy, to being resigned at being unhealthy, to not at least try to be healthier. I left my health to medicine, not thinking I had a, a participant in it, that I had to participate in my health, that I had to pay attention to what I ate, that I had to actually move Every single day, even if today, 39 degrees leaving the house, we didn't want to, but did. You saw what I did for lunch, the field roast burger on top of some tomato and onion and balsamic and garlic and a little mozzarella on top, which was delicious, by the way. Some roasted cauliflower with the barbecue sauce, which was delicious, by the way, and some leftover uh, soup, lentil soup. All of it delicious. Took me 10 minutes to create, and all of it good for me. So I didn't know. I did know. I knew, and I chose not to know. Just like us and the global warming, honey. These tornadoes are happening, and, and now there's it's 30 in Las Vegas finally, and the, the West Coast about to get slammed by a storm that's of, of epic proportions. And uh-huh, weather's like adapt or die. I'm coming for you. So December sucks, but we're blessed. We're alive. We have some resources. Most of us have a place to live. Water. Indoor plumbing, I'm serious. These are things we should be grateful for. Roads, infrastructure, access to medicine and healthcare, even if it bankrupts us. No matter what, you end up living. You're bankrupt, but you're alive. I mean, I know that's a terrible thing, but at least you're not dead. And I know that sounds horrible, and that's how they get us, but that's the truth, because dead is forever. And December, it comes for people. I think Santa Claus is also death. I think death just wears brighter clothing in December. <laughs> Gives some stuff out. Still judgmental. Uh, anyway, so, all right. We're going to go to the Anne Rice interview here. This is my last time I spoke to Anne and Christopher Rice, her son, who will now carry out her legacy. He's a great kid. He was a great son. He was a great son to Anne. He really was, just on a personal level. He was just a great son to his mom. He loved his mom. He made a big deal about his mom all the time, and not because she was Anne Rice. He, he just loved his mom, and he's gay, and it's just, it's wonderful, it, and it's now it's sad because I know how sad he is, uh, but this was the last time I spoke to her. It was just a few years ago. It was at her house in West Hollywood uh, where she lived with Chris, uh, then she moved to Palm Springs. Uh, and uh, forgive me for being loud and over-talkative and medicated and fat and sick. Uh, but that's what I was, so that's life. Uh, I am Carol. You be who you want to be. Song doesn't hurt anybody. I will see you on Wednesday. Uh, this is the week before the week before. Uh, next week, there'll be new content probably pre-recorded. I'll probably record Monday of next week. Uh, Monday, Tuesday. And that way you can have shows on Wednesday and Friday. But I'll take that off. Uh, and then I'll record the next Monday, Tuesday uh, for the next week so we can then have some sort of New Year's as well. Uh, so I'll be with you. I'll just be with you a little pre-recorded uh, instead of that very day 
Uh, but that's okay. It'll still be new and it'll be fun. All right. I am Corel. You'll be who you want to be. So I don't hurt anybody. Uh, please go to reallycorel.com. Get the Corelcast app at all app stores. It is free. Uh, follow me at social media, Really Corel, and Really Corel on Instagram and Twitter. And thank you for being Patreon subscribers. And thanks for the new ones. And thanks for the old ones. And thank you so much. And that is patreon.com, P A T R E O N.com forward slash K A R E L. Before we go to Ann Rice, I will leave you with this little fun thing because I was talking about the, you know, how December sucks and psychotic all the news is. I mean, we could go through the news if you wanted to, but why? Tornadoes killing people. Supreme Court with, you know, basically going to overthrow Roe v. Wade here soon. And, you know, just bad stuff. Just, it just, December, it just keeps sucking. <laughs> so I hope we all turn it. See, and here's the bipolar part. We can still have a happy Christmas. We can still have fun in our lives. I had fun yesterday. It's finally time to start firing up the grill. From city to shore, Acme has everything you need to prep for the summer season. Download the Acme app to shop for this season's essentials any way you want. Open the Acme app, clip your deals, then order your items online. An experienced Acme associate will carefully select your groceries, bag your order, and bring it right to your car or deliver right to your door. Download the app or visit acmemarkets.com for program details. The month is sucking, but you personally can still have some fun in it. But just realize that you're basically having a ball in a toxic pit. (laughs) Because December of all the months just seems like to be a toxic pit of despair sometimes. (laughs) Poverty and cold and god i was laying in bed last night covered up because it was so cold outside and i thought oh the homeless people are out and i'm laying there like all upset because the homeless are cold thinking well either get up and give them a blanket or go to you know go to sleep uh so anyway uh, here's me and ann rice and i'll see you on wednesday You know, some of the most beautiful and peaceful places in the world are cemeteries. This is mine. I mean, I'm buried here. Uh, At least I don't think so. At least, not yet. Uh, But in 1975, I first came to this cemetery, and I've been visiting cemeteries all over the world. The names on these headstones around this cemetery are the names on the streets all over Long Beach. The founders of my city reside here. This is where the original Long Beachians live. I come to this cemetery a lot to think, to contemplate, and I wonder why people are afraid of the dead and cemeteries make them all creepy and creep them out. Let's be real. As humans, we have a preoccupation with what comes next. And writers, for years and years and years, have been fantasizing about it. Now, one of my favorites, someone whose books I have read in this very cemetery, maybe right here, by Miss May Davis, honey, Sarah May Davis, uh, is Anne Rice. Uh, and I met her son uh, many years ago, about 10 now, who, uh, when he came out as a gay person. I first interviewed her in Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans, as they call it, 
Narlands, uh, with my late husband Andrew Howard on a trip going through there. Uh, and I've interviewed her many times throughout the year. Now she writes about vampires and ghosts and goblins and, you know, mummies and things that come up and come out of the ground. Trust me, I've been here many a night. Nothing really has come out of the ground around here. Now, if you know Anne Rice and you know the Vampire Chronicles, which is not her new book, by the way, her new book, her new book is about Ramses and Cleopatra. Ramses, of course, another character she has created, the mummy. Uh, but the Vampire Chronicles, certainly Lestat and Louis, her favorites uh, and my favorites, and I always vacillate on which one I would be. Would I be Lestat with his fabulous fashion sense that he has? Uh, or I, would I be Louis with, you know, his brooding and his temperament? I never do know. One thing I do know is Anne Rice is a delight, her son is a joy, and we got to sit down with them in their West Hollywood apartment, in his West Hollywood apartment, and lives someplace else. 2000, 2001, so this would be 16, 17 years ago, we were on the 10 freeway, my late husband and I, on our way to KFI Radio, and I said, do you know this freeway touches so many cities and states across the country? It goes from the Santa Monica Pier to Jacksonville, Florida. Wouldn't it be great to broadcast all across the way, never going more than 10 miles? north or south of it. Well, we did. Uh, and what an adventure. That's, we're making, the, Brandon and I are making a documentary out of that. We're going to do the trip again. Uh, but when we got to New Orleans, we opened up the phone book because I had heard that Anne Rice, my favorite author's phone number, was in the phone book. And I thought, no, this just can, cannot be true. Uh -huh. It was true. Uh -huh. And there were phone books, actually. There were in the Google or whatever. There were the white pages. Yeah. I opened it up. A wonderful person answered the phone. I said, I am a uh, radio host. I am from Los Angeles. I have a major show that I'm traveling with. I would love to interview Miss Rice. The next day, the very next day, we arrive at her door, uh, me carrying the only store-bought version of Queen of the Dam that I could get, which was a paperback. Uh, and you answer, uh, Lestat, Louis, and Claudia dolls are right by the front right, door. I'll never yeah. forget it. Uh, we go in and do the interview. You were upstairs. You were 19 years well, old. Who knows what I was saying? And I don't want to know what you were doing up there. No. And the all this artwork around us is by your late husband, Stan. He was there painting. You gave us a grand tour. You showed us where Lasher was born, and you just all this wonderful stuff. And I just never forgot the generosity of spirit and sharing of the time uh, and meeting Anne Rice, which was pretty freaking cool. Uh, so it's even more cool now to be sitting in her son's apartment. Uh, in West Hollywood, her openly gay son, by the way, which I think is pretty cool. Very open. Score one for our yeah, side. He all oh, open. He's open. The recruitment always effort like, works. Yeah. <laughs> I was successfully recruited. Uh, yes. Uh, it, yes, we got the toaster oven. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a really great thing. It's sort of like a coming full circle uh, for me, at least, in terms of interviews. Um, I'm here because they have a new book that's out, and I really want to talk about that, so much so that I dressed for it. Uh, and I also want to talk about just life as the Rices these days. First of all, thank you all, and thank you for inviting me up to the house. It's very nice. They did a six-hour gab fest yesterday, uh, and we're the last thing they're doing, and we thank them for that. Um, you know, I sent you the itinerary that we're going to talk about, but I want to jump around because I do want to start with the new book. W on the way up here, I had a friend of mine try to Google how many mother-son writing teams there are. It was very hard to find a lot of resources on that. There's not a lot of, of mother-son or father-son. Stephen King just did one. With his son. With his, with his son, son, yeah. Owen, yeah. With Owen. But there's not a lot of collaborations with family. Uh, so you two are sort of unique uh, in that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask, because a lot of celebrity kids try to either run from their parents or run from their parents' job 
you know, I don't want to be. A, and yet you have not only uh, embraced your mom in a really great way, because you two remind me of me and my mom before she passed. We were inseparable. Uh, but you've also now written uh, with her. Yeah. Um, who asked who to collaborate? How did that, did you ask him or did he say to you this would be a good idea? How did that happen? I asked him. You asked I don't, him. I don't think Christopher would have ever come to me and said, can I collaborate with you on one of your series? Even I, if I he wanted said, to? No, he wouldn't have done that. But um, Why wouldn't I you asked him. Oh, I don't know. It's kind of presumptuous, you know, and I think it's... Propriety, well. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little yeah. presumptuous. I, I, you know, I think also what we were looking at, too, is that my books are very different from hers. Yeah. So if it was going to be a uh, combination, it needed to be the right formula for the right project. And this book, you know, really to answer the question of how we came to collaborate, working together on various Hollywood projects, specifically adaptations of her books, is how this became to seem less like an extraordinary or out of the pale thing. It, to do. It's sort of like yeah. the the uh, and it's the Vampire Chronicles. Are we allowed to? Yeah, say yeah, that? yeah. Absolutely. It's the Vampire yeah. Chronicles. They're being made for television finally. Right. Uh, I hope that you'll be happy with them. Uh, I, I had interviewed you. She's right an after executive this. producer. Okay, so she great. Yes, be happy. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm an executive producer. Chris is an executive producer, and he's writing the scripts. Yeah. So we are collaborating on that. Insofar as you, I read the you've scripts, you've trusted your other children to your child. Uh, I yeah, have. absolutely. I but have. I mean, even yeah. before that, we were working on a movie version that didn't work out. Thank God, because it was ultimately what we wanted to do with the project but right. we were working to make it the best Anne Rice adaptation that it could be so it paved the way for us to work together on a book because yeah. I think it, the stakes are higher for Hollywood adaptations in collaboration because there's so many other people you have to collaborate with right. whereas with a book it's the editor really. and, and talk about high stakes uh, in reading about this new book coming out mm -hmm. um, the fans were clamoring they, they wanted more of Ramsey's yeah. Uh, and 89, I believe, is when I read that book, or was it? It was 89. 89, yeah. 89 when I read that. I still don't understand the whole beef with Cleopatra. We'll get into that. Uh, mm, but, if you uh, read the sequel. You know, yeah, right. I, yeah, I got I to yeah. get to the sequel. I get yeah. my hands on that sequel. Yeah. Uh, what took, uh, was it just life, or was it not his time? Uh, a number of things happened. I mean, there was a lot of commotion at that time. My father died at mm -hmm. that time, right at the time when Ramses was on the bestseller list. And... Um, I was working on the Vampire Chronicles, The Queen of the Damned was my first New York Times number one bestseller, and that changed our lives. Just really... Queen of the Damned was the first one of the Chronicles to be number one bestseller? It was. It was. Yeah. And yeah. that was an amazing experience. An and, amazing book. And um, within a few years, the movie was made. Um, Interview with the Vampire. You know, and that made... That, I always have to take some time out after a movie. I have to absorb that, you know. So all of those different things happened. James Cameron um, had bought the rights, really, you know, through a studio to the first Ramses book, and he was going to make a movie out of it. We'd talked on the phone. I'd met him. He's a charming guy. But then he made the Titanic, and the Titanic was a huge success, and it just wasn't in the cards to right. come back to this project. So all of those things kind of... It's all very... Yeah. It, yeah. For us, because we're here, this is typical Hollywood. This is how projects yeah. get shuffled yeah. and then get made. Sure. Took Streisand 30 years to make Yentl, to have things fall into place to where she could actually get to that's it. Really, yeah. That's really it. I mean, I was free to write it in right. any time. I always keep the literary rights on anything, but th all that was going on in my mind, and, and then I reread the book, and um, 
I found I wanted to do something new, so I did the wolf gift books. Right. But I thought maybe if I invite Christopher in on this and he wants to do it, maybe he'll have fresh ideas about this and he'll certainly bring fresh energy and we can we can do something with when it. When she called and said, let's do this with The Mummy, with that particular book with Ramses, uh, what did you think? I thought it was very exciting, but I thought it was a tremendous responsibility because the book does I'd have such devoted death. fans. It does. Yeah. And it's like nobody wanted me to muscle in and make 50% of it a Christopher Rice novel because up until that point, Christopher Rice novels had been mostly contemporary, gritty crime thrillers with a lot of gay characters and some political themes in them, but nothing historical, nothing period, unless you're counting one flashback scene to the 60s, historical, you know, which... So there was nothing like invoking Edwardian atmosphere and detail and all that sort of stuff. And fans get but very possessive. Those are all reasons why I wouldn't do it alone. To do it in collaboration with Mom, yeah. that makes sense. As a writer, I'm curious how it worked, and then we'll move on from it, but I really am curious because I used to co-write with a, a writer... But really what I did is I wrote it, and then I gave it to her, and she added some flavor, and then I changed it a little bit more, and then I, we turned it in. Uh, but that was our process. That's how we did it. What was your process? How did you two merge together to write it? Well, we sat down together at a table much like this one with a lot of caffeine and some cats on the periphery and uh, some and relatives. Sketch and the sketch pad. And the sketch pad. Mom thinks the sketch. She loves well, the I sketch love pad and the felt tip yeah. detail because I think it's so tactile. I make so a map tactile. that I can see in the, you know, yeah. in the sketch pad and I, I need that. I, I see music. I right. see Right. It's like a mind map. And, you yeah. know, they're like mountain ranges to me. When I do shows, yeah. I... I I have computers, iPads, everything. I need a piece of paper. I need to write out my segments. Yeah. I need yeah, to write sure. out teasers. Because I have it's to, the, part of my process. the act of writing it out is also part of the yeah, process. Yeah, you internalize that. You it often don't even go here. back to the map. You've right. got right. it in your head. No, so, but, but, but that was the first part of the answer. So we had that big intensive meeting, and then she had the faith in me to go off and write a complete draft yeah, on my we own. Yeah, had hammered which out I the then, story. What was going to happen? The plot, the yeah. beats, the outline. And then mm -hmm. she pulled that draft apart. We sat down again, and then I went off and wrote a second draft and she did the final pass and I think the final pass was key because we really that was the last opportunity we had to make sure this was truly a book that continued on the themes and the promises mm -hmm. of the first one yeah and I think it does it's almost like um, you were a chef and you were the head cook Kind of. And you assembled the yeah. ingredients and got the, the base going yeah. and then came in with the seasonings right. and the flavorings and the things that make the dish the dish. Yeah. Uh, right. that's, that's really quite cool. I want to ask you, uh, you tell the story. In fact, it was read to me last night. Um, you have a lot of fans, uh, uh, both of you do. And, and when I said I'm going up to the Rices to, uh, to interview them, I, people were fainting. I think it was about you. Uh, people faint around me. Uh, <laughs> 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 just have a corral. Ah! Uh, <laughs> Girl's just, here. Uh, he's here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you were quoted about being a fish out of water in New Orleans when you got there from San Francisco. Yes. That's one of the quotes in the media. You know, here I was, suddenly a polo shirt wearing whatever in the middle of New Orleans. When I visited you, you were very entrenched in New Orleans. Uh, mm, and you even owned the, the convent at the time as well. I did. The yeah. The whole block. The whole block. City block. What mm -hmm. was it that made you come to the West Coast? Well, two things. Christopher moved back out to the West Coast. He'd been born in Northern California, and it was really his home, California. He was much more Californian than a Southern boy. He moved back out, and my husband died. And I was alone in that yeah. vast house. There was no son, you know, coming in and out with his friends. There was no husband. He was gone. And um, 
I realized I wanted to be out near Christopher. I really did. And also, I've spent many, many years of my life in California. Right. I lived in Northern California for years. Right. And at this point, I've lived in California longer than I ever lived in Anywhere Louisiana. Else. Yeah, it's really And yet you'll really forever be identified. Well, sure. And it is, it's my home. It's influenced, New Orleans has influenced all of my writing. But I've also, I came to California for the first time at four years old on a train with my mom. We stayed in um, Echo Park oh, area, yeah. you know, with, uh, visited our aunt. I remember LA really well. I remember the places we went, the things we did. So it was natural to come back out here. Now, if he'd moved to Bangladesh, I might have had second thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's talk two things I love to talk at parties, sex <laughs> and politics and religion. Uh, because these are themes of your books. Uh, one of the Wikipedia things they say about the original Ramses, it was interesting to me, they talked about sexual fluidity. The, the sexual fluidity of Rice's characters are continued in this book. Because, of course, they see Lestat and Louis as sexually fluid, and, and so I guess they saw some of the characters in Ramses as sexually fluid. Sexual fluidity is a big topic nowadays, and non-binary gender and all this kind of stuff. Yes. You have written your characters, even characters back in the day, right. I don't want to say it's sexually ambiguous, but they sort of follow their hearts and their passions, they and do, if they're indeed. wherever their yeah. passions lead. Right. So how do your characters fit into this sexual fluidity conversation that's going on? I have real trouble remembering that I have a gender. I have never felt comfortable being talked about as a woman or identified as a female. I just... Me neither. <laughs> but it happens. Yeah. <laughs> but it, Miss your beard. I'm <laughs> Croatia. <laughs> but it, it's something I've never been comfortable with. And, and when I started to write, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about gay overtones to Louis and Lestat. I simply wrote about them in the way that seemed natural to me. And I remember a brilliant man, Richard Silbert, who was the head of Paramount at that time, briefly the head of Paramount. He was actually a famous, um, um, you know, working on the crafted movies. He was a set designer, a brilliant set designer. But anyway, he said to me, it's polymorphous sexuality. They love Claudia, they love everybody right, whom yeah. they drink blood from and so forth. It's polymorphous sexuality. And I guess that was, it was just completely natural to me. Which it, it comes across in the writing. It doesn't come yeah. across as contrived. It comes as no, just, and no. the, char it, the characters would do this. It's, it just seems like Absolutely. the characters. Absolutely. Let's talk yeah. religion. You had a small falling out with the Catholics. Uh, at least it was written about. Yeah. Uh, and nowadays, where are you with your I don't want to say your faith, but with your spirituality versus, you know, we could all bash the Catholic Church. I always tell people big child rape ring, you know, I don't really pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And I don't. I think anyone that's a member of it is a member of the largest child rape ring in the world. And I'm very vocal about that. I'm sorry if it offends anybody, but okay. it, to me, that's just what it is. I can understand. And yet my mom was a devout yeah, Catholic, and I buried her in the church, and I was respectful to the yeah. church and everything because that's what you do, you know. But where are you now with that in that evolutionary process? Well, I, to some it up briefly, I went back to the church in 1998. I experienced a great desire to go back to God, to go back to the banquet table, to go back to the church that believed in the real presence on the altar and in communion. And for 12 long years, I lived as a Catholic, studied as a Catholic, went to church every Sunday, um, lived and breathed as a Catholic. And what the intense study of the Bible led me to was a total collapse of faith. In my view, the Bible simply does not support the Christian belief system, yeah. whether, it's, whether it's Catholic or Protestant or Episcopal 
or, or whatever. The, the idea of the need for a savior is simply not supported by the Bible. Right. It's not in the Old Testament. It really isn't in the New Testament either. Right. And, and I, ha I felt very uncomfortable. And then as the Catholic Church got a very high profile um, against gays, yeah. um, behaving very badly about the revelations of child abuse, mm -hmm. and um, really, in a sense, it had a very bad public profile yeah. that I couldn't exist with, and, and I frankly felt that way about all of it, the whole system. So yeah. I quit Christianity publicly. I said, I'm, you know, I'm in bed with the devil. And I'm getting out. I'm an atheist, but I'm not. I, you know, I know there's wonder and marvel out there. I just don't even worry about it because I figure I'll get to it when I get to it. And if you live a good life as a good person, then that's all you can do. See, that's not what Christianity really teaches. You know, they right. at yeah. this point they are they're really, very vengeful. No, they're down to the idea that faith in Jesus is what saves, and that basically living a good life isn't the point. Well, see, for me, it is the point. Right. And I have a lot of feelings about how that theological idea permeates and poisons a great deal of their positions and theologies. And a lot of people who, of course, are good Christians and well-behaved right. people don't know that. They don't go that far with the theology. That's fine for them. When I, when I went back, I thought theology didn't matter. God knew. I don't have to know. When I quit, I felt it mattered very much. I think it does that matter was it. very much, actually. How fun was it to write Cleopatra? No, it was a lot of Come fun. Come on. Well, you know, here's, here's what's interesting <laughs> it's about Cleopatra. that. It's Cleopatra. Well, it, it, it's interesting because when we sat down to have our first creative meeting about the book, I was insistent. The first book ends with a big cliffhanger. Yes. We know that Cleopatra was... She survived. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert spoiler for the first alert book. Spoiler alert for the she book. She survives the, the horrible inferno that no one could survive. Right. And she drunk the Alexa. But the hallmark of her character in that book and in the sequel is that she was brought back from death against her will and with without her consent. And thousands of years before, when Ramses was her immortal counselor and offered her the elixir, she said no. She said, no yeah. I want I want to die as a queen. So she's not as happy. As we all do. Right, as we all do. And she's not happy to have been brought back from death against her will. So the question of whether or not she's actually even really Cleopatra, if the soul of the real Cleopatra exists in her uh, her form, her physical form, that hangs over the first book very much and it hangs over this book. But I went into that first meeting insisting that she was going to be the monster of this book, that she was going to be a pure villain. Well, Ramsey does seem to be a likable guy, a yeah. mummy, a dead person, <laughs> you know. Well, mom, wonderful mummy. He does seem to be a wonderful mummy. And mom was insistent, said, look, you, there's complexity to this character, there's richness to this character that you're going to miss if we take this approach. But she said, I'll let you try it. And I went off in that first draft and I tried it and I was wrong. I was dead wrong. She was right. And I started writing what it needed to be right away. And I got into her character and I got into the idea that the, the physical construct we'd set up in the mythology of the book of her not knowing if she was the real Cleopatra also kind of dovetailed with the scholarship about her because her history has been written by her uh, defeaters, if right. you will. The Romans wrote her story. They maligned her. And maligned well, her. I heard they called great, her the I, harlot I heard queen. And, great yeah. quote in a movie that everything we know about the Vikings was written by Christians who hated them. Sure. Yes, because absolutely. they didn't keep written records. Right. Absolutely. So everything, so everything we know about them is completely wrong. Right. You totally. Know? And there, and there are contemporary scholars like Stacy Schiff and and uh, you know other books that have been written about Cleopatra that are informed by this this modern sensibility. Did you that do we a lot of trust. research about the real Cleopatra when you were uh, writing yes, this? Yes. Yes, I did some because it's interesting. Interesting. There are some things out there that were not true, that were invented by novelists and writers right. and, and, and other things, and we didn't necessarily want to use those. But I think 
Look, nobody is. We're not making a historical point that Cleopatra right. and Ramses are immortals who have lived for it's thousands of years. Knowledge. It's got a, It's not a historic. It's not a piece of historical right. fiction. It's this sort of. Don't tell Trump. Go, go <laughs> <try> <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll believe everyone. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because I think about your villains. Mm -hmm. And they're never really villains. Oh, no, I, I don't really do. They have, yeah, they, they have, I just don't. I mean, even Akasha, when she's on her sure. killing spree, right. she, in her mind, has a logic for what she's doing and why she's doing it. Yeah. And, right. yeah. and, you know, Marius, all of them, when they go do some, some of them do some pretty terrible things, but when they do them, a lot of times it's not maleficent, it's not evil. It's no. they're seeing it as something that must be done. Yeah, uh, I think that's good writing. Yeah, I don't think any villain thinks they're the villain. Right, so know? Cleopatra, I right. would think, you know, in this new book, she wakes up pissed, she almost gets burned, now she's really yeah, pissed. Now you she's know? really and pissed. I, and and Ramsey's better beware. Yeah. But, but let me let me say something about Christopher's relationship with Cleopatra. I think Chris Because you have one. Chris has <laughs> described it eloquently, but what I saw when I was reading that draft was that he had fallen in love with that character. Mm, well, you have and, to. And right? the writing, yeah. all the writing, all the prose surrounding Cleopatra really was perfect. Do there you fall no in love with the character when you're writing? Oh yeah, all the time. All of them, or just one or two? More in love with some, less. In who love who with do you others. more love? Oh, I love the the vampire Lestat with my whole soul. You like him because he's a terrible infant. You love him. You love that no, about him. No, I love him because he's really what I would like to be. Oh, see, Louis is who I would like to be. I was Louis. Or Marius. Okay, Louis's a little whiny, okay. But Marius, you know, yeah. with the, well, I'd like to but, be Armand, but who but, doesn't want to be 16 and Greek? You know, right. Megan, yeah. uh, but Marius has a ruthless side. Oh, he yeah, but he had to. He was the just, keeper of those who must Yeah, not be I mean, either. he thinks nothing of burning to a cinder or somebody. I thought about being one of the redheaded twins, but just because they were redheaded twins, yeah. and that would be fun. I can't wait for everything you're working on. I am your client, both of you. I am, I am your mm -hmm. consumer. I will be in front of the Vampire Chronicles weekly. I will be there. I, I can't wait to get a hold of, of the new book and read it. I've read all the others. I just finished Atlantis. I was a little slow on Atlantis. I like, uh, you know, but I got, I got to it. Uh, and I read the original back in 89, so I've already read the first book of, of this sequence. So I, I cannot wait to, to get to it. Um, the Vampire Chronicles had a long life. Has a long is still living. Right. They are immortal. Yes, <laughs> yeah. they are. Uh, is Ramsey on the track now to become another immortal? Uh, another immortal Well, series? you know, another, <laughs> you know, like four, yeah. five, six, seven books? Oh, yeah, I think that could happen. I, you know, I think that, uh, well, you know, when I reach the point that I can't write them any longer, I think Christopher could write the Ramsey's books and continue them if he wants to do it. Do you know if my mother were a famous writer and she just said I could pass the mantle to my son, I'd be jumping up and down and screaming? She and said it a while ago, so uh, I, I jumped no, up and down then, yeah. Um, yeah, we want to do the third book. We've got a plot. We want to take it right into the war, you know, and, and we want to use the war responsibly, which I think you should do in a fantasy novel. I, you yeah, know, I mean, you know, what does it mean for immortals to have to look at war and yeah. see all that death and not be able to really do And have anything. to see a, a whole yeah. civilization destroying And have it see it repeat, because one thing I've learned, I'm only 55, but I have learned now that I've been in uh, entertainment and talk radio and everything, mm -hmm. I basically do the same show now I did 25 years right. ago. It's the same topics. It's just different people. It's right. just, you know, yeah. that the headlines change, but right. they don't. Right. Yeah. You know, and so if you were an immortal, you would know that. You mm -hmm. would know that there's cycles of human nature, and you would know right. which one, they're, oh, they're in their war cycle now. Then they'll come their yeah. peace, and then their renaissance. Sure. Then they'll destroy everything. Then they'll, you know, and you yeah. would know that. And I wonder if you would get mm -hmm. weary of, of viewing 
uh, them. Do you think the, before I let you both go, now you've written Immortals too. Do they pity us? Do they envy us? Do no. they... The longer they're immortal, the more they fall in love with us. The longer you're with someone, the more you can see you can see their beauty. And I think that's what I got out of the Vampire Chronicles, yeah, they eventually. They appreciate us. Yeah. They appreciate us and they respect us. How many times have either of you been asked, would you become immortal? Many, many times. Countless times. Of course I would. Anything. Well, I wouldn't say anything, but... I'm determined I'm going to be a downloaded intelligence, that they'll download me to a computer, and to, like the San Junipero on Netflix. So yeah. They'll upload me to the cloud, and I'm hoping it's a Mac and not a PC so I don't crash. That's <laughs> 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 what I'm hoping. Yeah. We're going to continue. I could talk for an hour and a half to these two. I've, I've loved talking to Anne over the years that she's come on my show. Like I counted last night. She's been on my show 12 times, uh, every time around a book. Uh, or something that was going on, and it's always a delight and a joy to speak with her. Um, Chris has become a friend. We're, we're both local. Uh, his Instagram's hysterical. You're so supportive of authors. Um, no, he, he, I know you know this, but he, you really are. Uh, and you show up at the book events, and you, you both treat books like they're still golden little yeah. marvels. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. the respect for the written word and the respect for other, you, mm -hmm. you promote, you both promote other novelists and other people who, mm -hmm. that you are excited about. Right. That's important today when sure. the arts are very frowned upon and reading more than 128 characters is not really yeah. what people do. Right. So yeah. I know they're going to enjoy the book. We're all going to enjoy the movies. Um, I don't know whose house we're going to meet again in 17 years, but wherever it is, <laughs> I hope we'll be having a good time. 17 Thank you. years. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? It could happen. Yes, it it could happen. happen. We just talked about being immortal. It could happen. happen. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised to be alive at all, actually. Oh, so am I. I lived <laughs> there was the 80s, the 70s, the 90s. Lord. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you are, and I'm glad you're still writing, and I'm glad you're writing with your son, Chris. It's an exciting collaboration. Thank you. It's Thank very you. exciting for I'm Carell. I'm going to continue to be the luckiest guy in Los Angeles today as I sit having coffee, well, I'm having tea, uh, with two of the most prolific and important writers uh, in America today. Uh, and that's not an overstatement just because I'm here with them. Look it up. They are. Uh, read a book. It's actually good for you. You can read it on your iPad if you want to, but read a book. Read theirs. They're really good. up the grill from city to shore acme has everything you need to prep for the summer season download the acme app to shop for this season's essentials any way you want open the acme app clip your deals then order your items online an experienced acme associate will carefully select your groceries bag your order and bring it right to your car or deliver right to your door download the app or visit acmemarkets.com for program details It's finally time to start firing up the grill. From city to shore, Acme has everything you need to prep for the summer season. Download the Acme app to shop for this season's essentials any way you want. Open the Acme app, clip your deals, then order your items online. An experienced Acme associate will carefully select your groceries, bag your order, and bring it right to your car or deliver right to your door. Download the app or visit acmemarkets.com for program details.